What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. We're looking a lot tonight at elders and deacons, and honestly, uh, the joke has always been like, what's wrong with pastor's kids? It's because they hang out with the deacon's kids, you know, all those different jokes. And uh, so a lot of people in their history have had a really hard time with deacons and elders. Uh, mainly, at least in my culture that I grew up in, it's like deacons are elder, like they're everything. And, and so, uh, I don't know, there's just like an abuse of power. And so a lot of people, when they think of that, they're like, ooh, um, you know, like we don't, I don't want our church to have those. They're just power hungry. It's really um, nasty. But the reality is what we're going to see in scripture tonight is it's commanded. And it's something that we need to shoot for. And what I'm going to say is maybe sometimes we put uh, people in those wrong leadership positions. They actually didn't qualify to be an elder or to be a deacon. And or they were at one time, but then they, un- they disqualified themselves. And it's up to the church to call that out and call them to repentance and move them forward. So it's something that's absolutely necessary. Like God created leadership and God created authority. One of the first things when he created human, what? It, it, what did he say to them? You have authority. You have dominion over the earth. Like you're in charge of the plants, of the animals. Um, authority shows this um, purpose towards leading. You, you cannot do anything without authority. Um, but what I put down here, because we're so obsessed with autonomy in our culture today, we have vilified authority. We'd rather just not have any authority at all. Um, that's kind of the cultural narrative. That's the story that we are tempted to believe. And I know a lot of people point to history and say, look, uh, look at all the bad authority um, that has led to oppression of so many people. But at the same time, you can point to history and say, look at all of the authority that led to the liberation of people. So the authority has to happen, and you'd rather there be healthy authority than non-healthy authority. What is authority? There's a book called uh, Strong and Weak by Andy Crouch. And he talks about how every leader needs to be uh, walk in authority and vulnerability at the same time. And if they're not both authoritative and vulnerable, then they actually uh, it leads to society not flourishing. But if if you are have a healthy authority with vulnerability, then society flourishes, the church flourishes. So it's this humility of yes, this is where God's called me to, but. I, you can call me out, right? There is, I, I still sin. I can confess of these problems. That kind of thing uh, is really important. Um, in the wrong hands, though, authority can be very, very wrong. So just these last two weeks that in the church world, that's been really bad. Don't know if you've seen it online. Number one, there's a really famous pastor. Um, I've listened to him a lot growing up. He's a brilliant communicator, great teacher of the Bible. Um, but he, I don't know what led him to that point, but um, there's been a lot of speculations that he was misusing his authority, that nobody could tell him no. You know, like men, when, when you, men are men, right? And so when we start to get power and things start to be successful, we start to forget that God was the one who did it. And we start thinking we're the ones who pulled it all off. And so I think that's the situation that this pastor was in. And so he officially got disbanded from their church this last week because of uh, inappropriate comments he made on the radio. And when you listen to those comments, you're like, how is this guy ever a pastor? This is, but you have to remember like, you know, the example of King Uzziah, there is a possibility to love God. God uses you. Everything's great. But then you just allow pride to step in and you don't allow accountability. And we're, we're, we're fallen creatures and we can fall back to the old habits. We can fall back to uh, pride and fear. And so that's the situation that happened there. And I think uh, with a healthy eldership and, and deacons, 
there's a possibility that he could have been stopped before it was too late. He could have been, hey, let's take a sabbatical. Hey, we feel like we need to tell you this. We love you, but here's some truths that I don't know if you're seeing right now. Let's be honest about the situation. And so it really is a, um, like what I want to do as a church is I want us to have, and I've always been advised, don't rush into it because that breeds more problems than not have any. But our desire at our church is, okay, let's have deacons now. Let's pray for elders now because that would be uh, great for us. I think God blesses a church of, of a plurality of leadership. Um, God blesses that. Um, and, and honestly, wherever God takes us, it's best for even me selfishly to have that kind of backing and also that kind of like, hey, hold up here, you know, like you're not thinking this straight. Um, my wife does a great job of that, but, but I need other people to do that for me as well. Um, the other thing maybe you heard on the news is uh, the Houston Chronicle reported um, a bunch of um, sexual abusers and um, the, since like what, the 70s and the Southern Baptist Convention, and so they uh, exposed. And the reality is I guess a lot of the churches just try to keep it hidden, you know, try to hide those abusers. And the sad reality is some of them would just be let off. They wouldn't be reported to the police. Let me just say, I believe if something like that happens at all, you report that to the police for the sake of the safety. We think, oh, but I love that person. Like, well, don't you love the other 99 who are here who need to feel safe and be safe and women need to feel protected and loved. And so we put those leadership positions at such a unhealthy pedestal that, that there's no accountability, real accountability. It's not real accountability to say, just say you're sorry. That's not accountability. That's, I don't know what that is, but that's not what the Bible calls for us to do. And so um, they say there's one of three articles. So the other two articles, ex, like the exposing of those people haven't even come out yet. But I'm thankful for our leadership in the SBC. Um, they've said, hey, we want to expose it. If there's anybody else out there, please let us know. Sin is never good. We don't do anybody a service when we try to hide sin. The core of Christianity is exposing sin, right? And that's actually when God forgives us. But when we hide it, when we try to cover it up, it's not what God is interested in blessing. We aren't, if we were celebrities, if this was Hollywood, you would try to hide it and pay people or whatever. But in the kingdom of God, it's not PR management. It's, hey, let's expose them for the sake of actually the purity of the church. We have to call them out. And I think still believe like walk through the steps of restoration for them, but they still need to go through punishment. And I think that's a message we as Christians, we can't be fearful of. We can't say, Oh, yeah. I mean, we need to tell our non-believing friends, hey, I'm, I am probably more disgusted with that than you, you know? And we are a loving faith, but we're also a loving faith, which means we love those victims. You, only, you can't just think of loving those who committed the crime. Uh, so therefore, we want justice. God is a God of justice, and a way to have justice is to have a healthy church leadership system. So a healthy church leadership is essential to a healthy church. If you don't have healthy leadership, you will not eventually have a healthy church. You may get lucky for a season, but eventually it will expose you. So what do you think are the components in your mind of a healthy leadership? Transparency. Transparency is good. Good leader needs to be a good follower also. Mm, a good follower. I love that. That's a great point. So I boiled it down to two things. It needs a great leader has to have character and competency. So they have to be good at their job. Can't just have a nice guy. But there needs, first and foremost, you need to have the right character. 
what's hard as we looked through First Corinthians last year, um, we are a culture of meritocracy. I know we say America is d- democratic, but in the way we kind of operate within the world, we love to reward those who are competent. We don't care as much about character. If you are talented and you can woo people, you are much more prone to climb the ladder faster than to somebody who's actually genuinely loving people and doing that behind the scenes. We want the person who's incredible on the stage. Uh, But here's what we need to do as a church. Um, And this isn't working. I'm having a great time tonight with technology. Why isn't, oh, I should probably turn it on. That's step one. Healthy leadership knows how to churn things. Okay. Um, You're talking about being top? Yeah. (laughs) Touche. So this is what, no, I'll take that because I need that. Right? Okay. Whatever. So we should never allow the abundance of competence to make up for the absence of character. Uh, This is first and foremost. So like when I'm thinking through uh, elders and deacons for our church, our first measure cannot be competence. It actually must be character. And um, I think that's also why a big part of our church, we don't want to rush and just pick deacons and pick like on our year one. Because honestly, the people I would have picked as deacons aren't even at our church anymore. Um, that's because of difference of vision. There's all sorts of, some of them moved. Um, but some of them, honestly, I actually learned more about their character, right? And so it's really important to not rush this process. It takes a long time to find out somebody's character. It takes trying situations and, and uh, it takes people in need and see how you respond to those things, um, which makes it really hard to hire staff from outside the church because you have to quickly learn about their character and call recommendations. So my biggest prayer has always been, God, may you, may you raise up so many of our leaders within our church. Then we can be confident, right? Like we've seen them serve our church for two years. Now it's just we're just making it official and bringing them on board. Um, and so I think that's really helpful. So The reality is competence can promote you really quickly, but character will expose you eventually. And and, um, that's the reality. And uh, the Bible says your sin will find you out, which is a terrifying scripture. But it's true. But it's not terrifying if you live a life of transparency and you're practicing the way of Jesus and becoming more and more like him. Huh? Huh? Now with that, Christians, of all of us in general, not just leaders, we need to be just as passionate about pursuing the lifestyle of Christ as we are about proclaiming the life of Christ. So that involves the practices that we've talked about in the morning. And so deacons and elders need to be displaying those things. So every, I, I, we see in scripture, God calls every single church to have a plurality of leadership. Plura, I, we believe a plurality, it's such a hard word I'm saying over and over, a plurality of elders and also a plurality of deacons. Now, who knows the difference between a deacon and an elder? You do? Oh, you remember the saying, huh? Mm-hmm. Go for it. Elders serve by leading and deacons lead by serving. No, kind of. Uh, that could work, but that's not what I say. I, th- I, thought, it was, I thought you said it was like elders uh, serve by teaching yeah. and uh, deacons teach by serving. Boom. Okay. It's okay, babe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the big thing is the serving versus teaching right. aspect is kind of the main crux. But we'll see in here uh, tonight the character they need, it's essentially the same. They need to be great men and women of character uh, because we believe deaconesses are in the Bible as well. Now, both are indispensable to a church. I don't believe there's like a level of like, oh, this one's more important. I think every church needs to have each. Both are a worthy calling to pursue. This is important to talk about. A lot of people, uh, it's really popular to make fun of like, oh man, 
God called you into leadership. I'm so sorry, right? Like, it's a joke. Like, oh, it's, it has to be a calling because it's miserable. All this stuff. No, I really believe I need to stop joking. Like, I've made those jokes my whole life. Like, yeah, God called me. Trust me. I've seen my dad go through hell and back, you know? But it's really important uh, to realize this is a noble task and something you need to be thankful for. And so really think through in your heart, has God called you to be a deacon or deaconess, right? Or has God called you to be an elder? Um, now, both should be prayed over for you to consider, uh, but deacons are usually a lay position, meaning you just have a normal job. You're a normal person, uh, but you're a deacon, uh, uh, and that's just kind of how you live your life. Uh, you are involved a lot on weeknight activities and in the weekend, really, in serving the city. But also elders, they can be a lay position, especially uh, the way uh, we want to operate as elders. We'd love to have elders of great competent character who are able to teach the Bible, but really they have a great business savvy. They have great um, understanding of direction of, of leadership, um, of understanding how to hire certain people or building situations. It's really important to have those kind of people. Um, on board. Now, churches operate differently. So this has to be a, a part one and two. So next week is the last week of our ecclesiology workshop and it's part two because what's important to know is people view deacons and elders differently. And just because we believe one thing doesn't necessarily mean the other kind of style is inherently wrong. It's just different. Um, so a lot of Southern Baptist churches that I grew up around, you just have deacons. And you call them deacons, but I think they were actually elders. Like they did everything elders would do, but they had the name deacon. Okay, so that's important to know. Uh, so some people operate that way. Other churches have just elders, and uh, meaning uh, pastors are elders. We're going to look at that. Um, and, and they just want to be elder-led. Others have just deacons, which are kind of there, but honestly, most of the power is in the congregation. They don't make any decisions without a majority vote. We're going to look at next week the different options and like how, what we kind of coincide with. And so that'll be interesting. And also like, what are members? Why is membership? What are the, what is that for? That kind of stuff. But for tonight, what is a deacon? What is an elder? And is God calling you to one of those? Acts chapter six, open your Bibles. I have it on the screen if you want to be lazy. Uh, we're going to look at deacons. Deacons teach by serving. So when you think of a deacon, they have a servant's heart. They love to serve. They're constantly the ones saying, hey, do you need help with this? Can I help you with that? They're constantly thinking of other people, uh, which uh, they're incredible. Is my camera even on or recording? Yeah. It has a big red dot? It says recording. Oh, cool. I forgot if I did that. Okay. Um, so Acts chapter 6, uh, we actually see the first origination of deacons. It's really important to understand what they're for. So in those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, it's an important part of it, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So that's the problem. And so far, it's just been essentially elder-led, just people preaching the word and the community kind of just naturally forming together. Verse 2, the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. I, I just, typical preacher, right? Uh, <laughs> I just, the jokes are there. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The elder's chief job is to pray and to preach the Bible. 
Um, it's important to see that there. So not only are we learning about deacons here, but we're learning about elders. Verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole company. I think that would be kind of interesting. Call us a company, right? Um, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, who later got stoned. Uh, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon and Pumbaa. No, uh, Timon, <laughs> Parmenas, <laughs> Nicholas, a uh, convert from Antioch. And they had, the, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So actually, my dad did it this morning. They ordained two deacons. And so uh, the elders of the church prayed over them. It's a very symbolic thing. There's nothing necessarily like, oh, if your hands weren't laid on, then the Holy Spirit's not in you. But it's a very, it, it's, it is, it's symbolic and it's a powerful thing. Um, I was prayed over to be, a, uh, to be ordained, like licensed. And then I was prayed over to be ordained. And it's one of the special moments in my life. Verse 7. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So it was because of the deacons that the church was able to grow at a faster rate and a rate that glorified God and more people um, grew in their faith. But it's interesting, the greatest way they describe deacons here in this text are waiters, table servants, waiting on tables. Um, deacons were actually there to establish and promote harmony. What do you think the main jobs of deacons are? I didn't need, okay, cool. Uh, one thing that I love is they absorb complaints. By the way, this book right here is, I read it this week. This has been a very helpful resource for me. It's from Nine Marks, Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons by Tabitha, help me out here, Tabitha Anyabog, this guy, um, and... Fabiti Fabiti and Abuile. Really? Fabiti Okay, I think I said it right. Uh, so this book is helpful. It actually is literally, I'm pretty much stealing everything from this book. I just want to make sure I give him credit, okay? Uh, so they absorb complaints. They make peace between people who have issues. And the big part is they care for widows and orphans. They care for the least of these. Um, people who are normally working and they're just trying to learn the word of God and make disciples, deacons kind of go the extra mile and really making sure is everyone that's in need, are we meeting their needs and serving people? Um, the deacons enable the ministry to multiply. Now, again, we believe deaconess is implied in the Bible. We see that in Acts chapter 16 and elsewhere. Um, we have a podcast on Passion Creek's podcast <coughs> called Why We Are Complementarian. And so we believe eldership is reserved uh, for men. And, um, but, however, we, I believe women can do a lot in ministry, and I think they're often overlooked. And so we don't want to be where, oh, man, that's just the, no, the women kill it. Um, but we, that's just what we see in Scripture. It's just honestly something I wrestle with constantly. I think it's my culture, too, of like, oh, man, can they? I don't know. So I did a whole sermon on it. I honestly forget most of my points, but it was a good one. So look it up if you are wondering why we are complementarian. Um, we, we, our, our, our we complement each other. God called the women to do things that men, amen, we cannot do. Praise Jesus, okay? So they were established to do those things. Now, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, the, what you were reading in Acts where it said their chief... And you said their chief job is to pray and preach. Is that the elders? Or That's for the elders. Okay. So the apostles were like, we need to do this, but we're so busy helping wait on tables. I can't, I can't get my sermon done. <laughs> That's essentially what they're saying. Yeah, exactly. So now let's look at what are the character and competencies of deacons. Even just here in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, we see 
that they need to be full of the spirit and wisdom. So they had a proven reputation. People would trust them. Wisdom means um, that they understood their place in ministry. I know that sounds what it, it, that's what it is. They understand that I need to do my job so elders can do their job. Deacons are out of place if they think elders are there to serve the deacons, right? If they think that preaching God in prayer is less important than serving, then that's not, that's not wisdom. It's understanding we're complimenting each other, and I'm doing these things so that the elders have time to do, uh, to do this, the word of God in prayer. Uh, the thing about deacons is they happily accept menial tasks that lack glamour. They are totally cool getting their hands dirty. They're totally fine staying late at the pastor's house and installing lights, right? Stuff like that. Um, now, the Spirit displays the it, meaning. They display the fruit of the Spirit in the midst of trouble and troubling and trying situations. All of us can display the fruits of the Spirit when everything's going great. But that's what's great about raising up el- deacons and elders within because we go through moments where stuff doesn't go well. And how do we respond? Do we sp- respond with gentleness and we're just going to figure this out? Or is the whole world on fire? That's a sign if you can be a deacon or not. And they know how to end murmuring and complaining. I don't know how long you've been in the church world, but that happens a lot. And deacon's job are to say, whoa, okay, he's not in the room. Let's wait. You want, let's go. Let's, fit, let's fix this right now. They're supposed to be champions for the leadership. And they're supposed to say, hey, let's not spread God. Let's be people of God here. Let's not look like the world, okay? Next thing we actually see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, they need to be sincere, which simply means this. They say what they mean, and they mean what they say. They're not double-minded. They can't say one thing to one person and then change it for another person. Deacons, they can't say one thing and yet do another. They can't be like, oh, I'm going to do that, and then they never do it. A deacon, I'm going to do it, and guess what? It's done. That's what deacons do, um, they successfully fight against the fear of man. So sincere means they mean it and they don't care if you're against it. They understand they fear God more than man, so they're going to do it. Okay? Deacons are incredible people. And honestly, when I read this, I almost start thinking, is there ever, ever been anybody who's actually qualified as a deacon, right? Like these are like incredible qualifications. And so we have to realize, yes, there needs to be a, uh, there needs to be a baseline where this is possible. We can't lower the bar. But also we have to have grace in all this. Well, I remember one time, six months ago, he got angry. Okay, there could be a lot of circumstances. But overall, are they displaying a spirit of wisdom and sincerity? Um, Sober and content. Um, So they don't take advantage of others. Um, They don't blame others, but rather solve problems. Uh, They generously give. Sober also means that they don't get drunk. That's important. Um, the last thing you need is deacons to call up member. How you doing? You know what I'm saying? That's bad. But uh, that's something you have, you have to think about. And honestly, there's been people in pastoral leadership as well. They have been removed because they couldn't stay sober. Um, again, all these things, we can't make it as like such a religious thing of like, you're a terrible person because you can't qualify as a deacon. We all need grace. We're all growing. Um, but deacons is... It's a, hey, but at the end of the day, if you're going to be a deacon, you need to have met these certain standards. You need to have practiced the way of Jesus to get to this point. Uh, deacons also keep hold of the faith. So it's not just that they love to stack chairs on Sunday mornings. They also love Jesus, and they, just, they have a good understanding of the Bible. They have a good understanding of what saves them. Jesus is the one and only Savior. They have to understand those things. They're not teachers, 
But they open their Bibles and work through uh, the issues of life with people. They, they are champions of God's word. And we see that in 1 Timothy 3, 9. And then the last one, deacons are tried and true. They dealt with difficult situations in the past. We understand and they'll be there for us. Another thing, they're always there for people who are in serious need. And they're always there for people who are in serious sin. They're there to care for people. Deacons are one, hey, I'm not here to give you all the answers, but I love you and I want to help you. Let's walk through this together. So deacons, can we agree, they're incredible people. We don't do a good job by saying, oh, but the deacons, you know, that's why the, like deacons are great. And if you've ever had a poor picture of a deacon, it means they actually weren't qualified to be a deacon. And maybe they were um, called on board for other ulterior reasons. But for us, when we look at who's going to be a deacon of our church, we simply use Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 as our requirements. And a lot of people, what they do is we say, okay, we prayerfully, the elders think, okay, who can be deacons? Then we ask them to pray. Hey, we, we believe you meet these markers. And then what a church does is they then announce it, well, some churches, they announce it to the church and say, hey, these three, five, ten, one, these people uh, are, are in the running to be deacons. We're, asking, we're giving you a month period to pray for them, but also let us know if you see anything of ser serious character flaws that we don't know about. Um, another thing that we do, especially because in light of the sexual abuse and all that, we run a background check before we even get any serious about any of that. Those sorts of things are important. So you don't just say, oh yeah, they're a deacon. No, like, let's, are we sure? Like, is there something I need to know about this man's character that he's been able to hide from our leadership team? Got it? Now, again, we can just get so, oh, that's so, this isn't a, are you perfect? Are you not perfect? That's, that's not, you guys get, get my heart. So but I feel like we've gotten so generous. I'm like, yeah, he shows up every week. We need to look like we're a better church. I like to have a bunch of pictures of deacons on the website. You're in, right? That's not what we're looking to do. I've often said our growth group hosts are like deacons because they serve, they, they open up their home. Um, what we have for our growth group leaders is they, if anybody's in the hospital in their group, they're the ones who first go to the hospital. Um, and so... That's very much a deacon's job. And so we've always kind of said it's never been official, but it's like if we had deacons right now, if I had to say, yes, we have deacons, it's those who are leading our groups. Um, we, yes, we want to make it official, but that is something that we've looked at. Any questions about deacons? I don't want to just brush by them too fast. Uh, I want to give room for that. And if you need more time, we can think more about deacons after as well. How do you decide how many deacons you have? That's a great question. I think that's a very great question. I've heard some people try to give a ratio to me. I think it's like, okay, God, how many are qualified? You know, like, God, if you've given us 10, wow, I, I think maybe that means you're about to bless us with a lot more people. And so we're just going to train them up and have them able. I would rather have more than not enough because deacons are there to meet needs of our people. And if we don't have enough deacons, it's hard to meet the needs of all of our people. Um, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says a number. For them, they said seven. So they had 12 apostles, elders, and seven deacons. So it seems like in their situation, there's more elders than deacons. I've usually seen it the other way around in churches, practically. There's a few elders and a lot of deacons. So I don't know. I think that's a great question. I think it's just, God, you've clearly given us everything we need. So let's check everybody's character. Who qualifies? Praise the Lord. I've already seen in our church, there's several people I thought, yeah, God, I mean, they're deacons. Like, we need to make this official. Uh, I, I really believe people stepping into that calling, there's an extra blessing on them 
but it's also an extra blessing to us of just just the authority and, and trusting in them. So that's a great question. Another question on deacons or deaconesses. Don't know how to say that. Do you, did anybody struggle with women being deacons? I think you could if you don't understand the role of deacon, you know? What's up? No. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, so to me, we see in Acts chapter 16, we really wrestled through this a lot, um, but deacons, if they're there, I mean, man, some of the greatest, the people who have influenced me like the most in my life, a lot of them have been women in the church who have just loved and served and, um, and so I just think they need to be wise in certain capacities of what they do, as well as men need to be wise in what they do as deacons. I think it's helpful when a woman is struggling, we send a woman deacon to help, deaconess. I, I just have such a problem saying deaconess. We send a deaconess to help in that situation. I think it's a little more helpful depending on the kind of situation that they're in. I think that's how that can be healthy. Um, I think because we send men to solve everything might be why we've had so many scandals, you know? Because uh, those create those vulnerable moments, and that creates and breeds unhealthy situations for everybody. So I grew up in an environment where it's like men only for everything. And so it's really hard for me to not think that way. Um, but it's also like, well, what do I see in Scripture? What do I see in church history? How have I seen just even practically? Um, that can never be. But then what do I see in the Bible? And that's just what I've come to at this point in my journey. And that's Southern Baptists are behind that as well. Southern Baptists can vary in several things, though. Do you see uh, deaconess being the wife of a deacon? I, I see that a lot. I think we should make it official for them and say you are also a deaconess. But I really see uh, the most effective is that duo that I like to call them power couples. But it's like, yeah, they're doing ministry and they're serving together. I think that's a good point. Let me ask you this from Trey. I'm sure you've heard this one before, too, growing up in Southern Baptist. And I'm totally in support of women in this role. Uh -huh. um, I think that women carry a role that men can never carry. Mm -hmm. And that this, some of the situations you mentioned um, are exactly that. And, and women's intuition is True. extremely valuable. And I will tell you straight up as a man, men need to listen more. Right. Intuition, and I have learned that the hard way. Yeah. More than a few times. Uh, but uh, the one verse that gets thrown out all the time, whether it's out of context or it's not being interpreted correctly, is that husband of one wife thing that comes. Right. Where's your what are your thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. So uh, actually, if you want to look at that, First Timothy chapter three. I'd really like to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, so 1 Timothy chapter 3, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work, which we just talked about. An overseer. So this, we have to, what is an overseer? This is also, this is a elder. Mm -hmm. An elder, he desi uh, therefore must be above reproach, husband of one wife. That's the, what you're saying so far. Yeah. Self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how much will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, 
holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own household competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So we do see it there as well. So there's multiple interpretations on it. It's either clearly in the culture here, he's speaking to a situation and he's saying, oh, um, I'm talking about faithfulness. Like a lot of people um, use just men as a way, just a blanket statement of everybody. Um, honestly, it's one of the reasons why I go back and forth because I'm like, but it does say husband of one wife, deacons. But then you do also see other texts that say, well, um, Priscilla, it looks like she was a deacon. So that's the struggle. That's like the hard um, balance. So then we also use other scriptures like 1 Corinthians when we look at, in chapter 14, the role of a woman and the role of man. And if our definition of the role of a deacon is not one usurping authority, um, teaching over men in certain capacities, then it still is, it falls in line. So it's a really hard line. It is very difficult. Um, Back then, though, didn't, didn't they have multiple wives? So back then, yes. Um, yeah. Sinners did, for sure. Uh, polygamy was very popular. So most people, okay, there's, that's another great point. And I was going to bring it up, but I'll do it now. Some people have, that's a great question. Uh, some people think that text on both is only saying, look, be faithful to one. Like, it's just polygamy's out. If you're an elder or deacon, you can't be a polygamist. Amen, right? We can agree to that. Um, another person, though, here's another argument. They say it's just saying to be sexually pure because Paul, he didn't have a wife. So it's not saying he had to have a wife. So he thinks it's saying being pure and doing it the right way. So if you're not married, you're not involved in any of that. If you're married, it's to one person. So there's been a lot of debate on what that means. Yeah, because I've seen... Really good single men who could have been incredible deacons that were kept from it. Hmm. Um, I also have a very good friend that I've known for many, many years um, who had always wanted to serve, would have been incredible, but he had a divorce in his past long, long, long ago. And he'd been married for, gosh, how long has Chuck been married now? 20, 30 years, 40 years? Uh, 40. And he, he was never wow. allowed to because of that. And wow. Because of. And that's, that's why I'm asking for my yeah, own Yeah, I was going to say, that's what he's asking. So if you've been divorced, can you pulling be Pulling that verse, but pulling that <laughs> verse out as it was, is that out of context? Or is that saying that? that yeah. you can never have been divorced? I'll just answer it now. So, I've heard all the arguments on it, so I'm curious. Yeah, so first of all, Paul was single, so that's that. Um, some people think it means married once, but many believe Paul would have been more clear if that was the intention. So what they believe is at that time, you are faithful to one. Gotcha. Like I, we have a mutual friend that was in a situation where it was very unhealthy. I mean, he did everything he could. How was this guy? But the best thing to do was to separate for the yeah. sake of the safety of their children. And, but we clearly see a calling on his life uh, to do ministry still. Uh, he's fruitful in that. So that also is what made me go, it's not as simplistic as no, just... Um, so I think there's right. grace. I think there's you. I think every story it, you need to hear the whole story. Yeah. What was this person mentally like? Sorry, like insane? Was that like there's all sorts of contextual? Was this before Christ that they had the divorce too? That makes it even easier to yeah. be like, oh, you know. So 
Paul was a murderer. So how about that for qualifications? And you're reading it from, so there's so much to that. But to me, I think without a doubt, it's your current situation, you are faithful and you're repentant about what happened before you, you know, there's just, it's not like, yeah. No, thank you. That's, that's good. Yeah, but it's not like if somebody just keeps like, that. all right, I'm divorced and I'm going to get remarried again, so I'll just go to a different church. And now, oh, it's just this one. You know, like, okay. So it's a heart thing. No, that's good. So deacons serve the practical and physical needs of the church. They want to serve. They have a passion for the church, but they're like, I don't want to teach, right? Those are deacons. Deacons are incredible. Deacons, I be- you can be a deacon for a season that turns into an elder, right? So that's always that as well. So for the Greek, uh, what we just read... Uh, Paul uses uh, elder interchangeably with three different phrases, uh, shepherd or pastor, which is, um, or, or elder or bishop. So shepherd, elder, bishop are the three words. He uses them interchangeably to show it's the same office, but it shows different aspects to the office. Um, man, I need to get going on all this. Um, so, so in other words, a shepherd, that, that insinuates more things than just uh, an elder. So a shepherd shepherds the flock, right? Takes care of his flock, those sorts of things. Um, now, first of all, uh, for elders, the elders serve by teaching. That's the biggest thing that sets them apart. Eldership is a noble task, which I already talked about. Now, elders must be above reproach. We see that. We already read it in chapter 3, 1 through 2. Above reproach, meaning nobody suspects wrongdoing or immorality. This does not mean they never question them. But this does say they've lived such a life where I don't need to question them. But that does not make them immune from being questioned. It's a very important distinction. Um, He should serve as an example to everyone in every single area of life. When it comes to giving, they should lead the way in giving sacrificially. When it comes to being hospitable, they should be the way in being hospitable. When it comes to parenting, they should lead the way in parenting. All of these things... They need to be respected not only by those within the church, but by those outside of the church. These are just great humans. Now, does that mean everybody will love? Jesus was hated so much he got crucified. So there's context to that. But as a general rule, I think you know what that means. They shouldn't have any sin, that, a glaring sin that disqualifies. No pastor is perfect. Hear me. No pastor is perfect. Amen? Don't say it too loud, but amen. <laughs> um, but every pastor should be repentant and pursuing the practices of Jesus and, and living a life of humility. Uh, elders must be a one-woman man. My dad says he'll never forget one pastor at, um, I won't say the church, but where he grew up. The guy said, I want to be a one-man woman <laughs> instead of a, <laughs> a one-woman man. <laughs> oh, man, it's so funny. So I was getting, that's in verse 2. I won't go over that again, but some think it's arguments against uh, polygamy. MacArthur believes it's, a, it's saying, look, to moral and sexual purity, no matter where they're at, uh, they need to, whatever situation they're in, they need to be moral and pure. And by the way, this is where most leaders fail, is in this category. So it's on the pastors to put physical and emotional boundaries with women. Um, I don't text other women if there's a situation where it happens. She knows all my codes, and I actually have to tell her before she finds out or I'm in big trouble, right? So, um, and that's an okay thing to say, right? Okay. Uh, she gets mad when I act like she's like this tyrant. She's not a tyrant. She's lovey-dovey. But 
She's a good moralist, okay? Um, I'm in trouble again. I think I did all right. Uh, I need her in my life, okay? I'm a seven. I need stuff like that. Not only do I need to have boundaries so I'm never alone with a woman, um, I'm never in a car alone with a woman. I can meet with a lady uh, in public, but there has to be, I don't know, it's, it's, there's all sorts of things people say. Um, there needs to be a lot of accountability, understanding where you're at. Even for me, it can't be a public-private setting. There's just a lot to it. Um, now, also, you need a pastor needs, with that means to have a passionate relationship with their wife. So it's not just that they're not fooling around with anybody else, but that they are in love with their wife. And there needs to be on display, not, not PDA, but, you know, it needs to be kind of clear. Um, and they fully embrace gender roles. That's really important. The, what we see in verse 2 also is they need to be sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. They don't run after every single trend. This is important. Pastors are so tempted to change their vision statement once every six months, to change the way the church looks, to change the way we dress, because we're just chasing after every single trend because we think, man, that's the new thing and we have to hop on board. Do I believe sometimes it's important to change a vision statement? Yeah, but every six months, right? And so sometimes I need to change my clothing, right? Uh, it, but, but if you're constantly, it's showing that you're putting more hope in the things of this world rather than in God's word. You know, at the end of the day, it's Jesus who's gonna save people, not if you have hipster genes or not, right? So important to know that. Also, they don't give into it in excess of food, drink, or anger. So that's what self-controlled means. Uh, and to be honest, pastors fall into this and pastors, I know a lot, they probably should be disqualified, but they're, um, yeah, uh, they react well to frustrating situations. I'm trying to get better at that. Next one. Elders must be hospitable. I've already talked. Yeah. I've already talked a lot about that. But they tangibly care for strangers. They use it for evangelism. They use it for discipleship. They hang around church early and they leave late. Uh, they host Bible studies. They invite people into their homes all the time. They want to go hang out in other people's homes. Hospitality is a thing. Guess what? Some pastors, they want to preach and then go hide in the back room. That is not eldership. Elders want to be among the flock, not only among them on Sunday mornings, but inviting them over throughout the week. There's also a healthy balance to that. If you're running of a church of a thousand, your wife will not like you if you give out your address and say, come over whenever. I said that this morning because our church isn't that big. So if y'all come <laughs> over, I think we can make something work, right? But there has to be, uh, there has to be boundaries for that as well. Um, here's the biggest thing, able to teach. Ability to communicate and apply the truths of Scripture with clarity, coherence, and fruitfulness. And rhyme. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so you have to be able to teach in an effective way. Um, and so what we are thinking about doing even more and more is, okay, what are some appropriate settings we can give people who think they can teach? How do we know? We have to let them teach. And so I think sometimes that's just within like a D group setting. But other times it's like, hey, we'll give you some reps at the ASU Polytech campus. Um, you can get to a point where it's like, great, let's give you reps on Sunday morning, but we probably won't start you there. There's a process of getting there, amen? But, but we wanna give people reps because if it's a gift, you need to be able to use and exercise that gift. That's the only way you can get better. But my thing is if you're somebody who wants to teach but you have no interest in serving, then you're not gonna ever teach. So many people, it's like, oh, all you want is a platform. You just want people to listen to you. You think you're smarter than everybody. That's not what God looks to bless. And uh, just, just that. Um, so another thing about ability to teach, there's so much things under that. They need to understand culture and how that connects with Christ. 
they need to be able to make those connections for people. They need to be practical, but at the same time, teach the Bible. And sometimes there's going to be heady things that they need to address. Um, pastorally speaking, they need to think and preach into people's pains, hurts, and desires. People need to be edified, not just entertained. You can be an entertainer. That's different than being a teacher. So you can make jokes. I wish I could make better ones. Um, the only time you guys laugh is when I said that was a joke, and then everybody laughs because that's the only time I get a laugh. Um, <laughs> and like you said, Jim, all teachers should be teachable. They're not just leaders. They're also followers. They're not above anybody. They are looking to even learn from the preschool teacher or the four-year-old who comes up and say what they learned about God that week. They're always looking to learn from others. That's so important. It's a nasty person who thinks I'm smarter than everybody. Listen to me. I don't have to listen to anybody. That's not practicing the way of Jesus. Sober, gentle, and peacemaking. Uh, we see that in verse three, verse th- uh, chapter three, verse three. So really the first two verses is uh, what qualifies an elder. Verse three is what disqualifies an elder. We have in verse three, uh, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. Um, so they avoid arguments, they patiently instruct people, and they recognize disputes in the church as symptoms of a deeper problem. So elders, we're called to not just say, hey, stop that. Actually, Caleb and Zhang do a great job at this. They analyze every single one of you, and they, they, <laughs> they look at what's the underlying issue here? How were they raised? Do they drink Pepsi or Coke products? You know, like all this stuff. They try to analyze, and I'm like, I don't know, I I just know if they laugh or not laugh. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I need to be qualified. I, I look kind of, no, but we think through those things. How come you're doing those things? How come you struggle with this? We're trying to get down to the gospel issue. They don't retaliate or get even. That's really important. They don't just avoid, but actively make peace. And guess what? They're also gentle with their wife and their children, plus everybody else. So be weary if, 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 if it looks, I hate to like point at me, but like if I look like, oh man, she's kind of, he's kind of not gentle with his wife, which you, uh, you always say I'm not very gentle, but I'm disqualified. It's a pleasure uh, serving you guys, <laughs> um, but that's really important. And that's not really a joke though. There are pastors that do that. Here's the thing we have to know. It's really hard because pastors... I, I, I get so scared when people look at the faith and they just look at pastors to summarize the whole faith. People can become pastors kind of easily if they're talented and they know how to speak well. And here's the other thing that's very scary. Pastoring is a power position. And power-hungry people look to take those positions and evil people, wolves among sheep. I think it's, there's a reason why we're called sheep and not a wolf. We're supposed to be gentle. Um, and wolves are constantly trying to invade. Of course, why else? Of course, Satan, that's going to be one of his chief endeavors. And so we have to be careful of that. And we have to recognize just because they're good at teaching, but if they have a not gentle spirit, something has to change. I know it's funny for them to make jokes and be all bullet, like, Ugh, but that's actually not glorifying God. And Jesus was one when they spoke ill against him, he didn't even refute them back. He just kept walking. And that should be that of a pastor. And by the way, we get a lot of people say a lot of mean stuff to us. So um, it's very tempting to be like, well, here's your list of how you're dysfunctional. But we don't do that usually. Okay, now, (laughs) elders must not be a lover of money. Now, this is a big one. A worker is worth his wage. 
Um, so he should be uh, paid financially for his work, and they shouldn't be the poorest person in the in the in the building. Um, so, but pastors should not overextend themselves financially. They can't be in bad situations. They can't be in loads of debt. They need to give generously, consistently, and sacrificially. Um, one thing I've always loved about my dad in this church is he's always been the top giver every year. Uh, big part of that is not because of this job, but because of the other jobs he does. And then he gives way above and beyond 10% to that. And I'm thankful he's always shared that with me because it's been a model that I've been able to follow and run after. I will admit it's a little bit harder for me to naturally just give the world like my dad. Like I'm like, right, dad, I'm like, dad, we need food though. <laughs> you know, like I know the neighbors need food, but we need food. <laughs> and so, um, and, but I, I really admire that about him. But that's somebody who you can say, yeah, they pay for my meal. Like they do these things. By the way, it's also great when you pay for the pastor's meal. Like those people always, I'm always like, oh, thank you, Lord. Like just such a gift from heaven itself. Um, so it's cool to know that. Uh, but they need to lead the way in that. They're not a lover of money. Uh, another thing, elders must be leaders at home. A man cannot lead a church if he cannot lead his home. What does his wife say about him? What does his wife say about his involvement in the house? Does he care for each child? I love that. That's what I read in that book. I was like, oh, so like, can't have favorites. <laughs> I don't. Um, I'm trying to think which one was my favorite. They're all terrible. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> no, like I go through different days where I'm like, you're so great, but you're so great. You're okay. It's fun right now. Do his children respect him and obey him? Does he not want children? I've met people who are like, oh, I don't want children. I'm like, that's kind of okay. What's the reason there? Because if you're usually the underlying reason is like, I don't want that responsibility. Well, then what makes you think you can pastor a church if you don't want the responsibility of being a parent? I understand if it's like I want to enjoy my wife for a few years, totally get that. But like to be against, you got to study and look into that. Why, why would you have such disposition? Um, but they need to leave the home. Now, this does not mean, hear me, you cannot judge the pastor's kids. And if they're not perfect, then you give them a hard time. That's why a lot of pastor's kids wind up leaving the church because the church is so harsh on them. Uh, so that's really important. But there needs to be a conversation if the children are constantly... Uh, disobeying, um, constantly getting in trouble at school. Uh, there has to be conversations of, hey, what's happening in the home? Because it's usually pointing to a neglect where the pastor is so in love with ministry that he forgot to love his family. And so for me, my responsibility is first and foremost to love God and love my family before I love uh, the ministry and do any of the work of the ministry. I need to get going faster. Uh, uh, elder must be mature and humble. I think you know what that means. That's why it can't be a recent convert because they have a lot to learn. A lot of life has to happen to them. Now, we cannot put a, quantify this as an age. Uh, maturity is not an age number. It's just life. I've met mature 25-year-olds, and I've met very immature 70-year-olds, right? So um, it, I've met mature 18-year-olds. I'm like, wow, you kind of have your life together already. Mature meaning he's practicing the ways of Jesus, and he submits to those who disagree with him. That's maturity. Maturity is submitting to those even though they, they don't have this disposition of I'm always right. That's not humility at all. And then in verse 7, respected by outsiders, just like the deacons. They need not to be self-righteous or arrogant. They're salt and light to the world. What do elders do? Elders refute error. So I always think like sometimes I'm like, man, every week I'm saying this is what the culture says. 
And this is what you should actually believe. Like, I feel like every week it, the title should be Satan's Lies and God's Truths. Because that's kind of like our job, though. It's, every week is like, you may be thinking this, but this is the truth. We refute error. We're supposed to critique and celebrate culture. So that's why I have to be analyzing culture. Because you are influenced by the stories we believe, right? And the habits you form. Sermon plug. Um, so we have to say, okay, what are the stories we're hearing? And how can I critique that? And guess what? Other times, let's celebrate. Yes, you're getting close to something. Like culture's obsessed with meditation. Awesome. You're almost there. You kind of have it off. But praise the Lord for that. Let me show you how actually God has wired us to do those things. That's what we're called to do. Um, they don't allow the wolves to stay around. If there's somebody in the church that is full of, of heresy or is leading people astray, it's the elder's job. And that's why I love the plurality of elders because it's a lot easier when you have a team together to tell them to stop and deacons to back up as well. We get a posse together and we're like, get out of here. And here's a, a warrant, you know, like never get near us. That, that we've had to do that uh, with my dad at his church. People are mean if you didn't know that. Um, that's in Titus 1, 9. We see that they refute error. First Timothy 4. Oh, I love that chapter. Verse 7, what he says to do, elders must avoid myths and train for godliness. Myths. Um, whatever you said his name was. He said to read the classic work of saints. Myths. It's the um, prosperity God. It's the, the things that we tend to believe today. Like this is the new thing that you need to believe. What we do is we avoid those things. We stay away from exaggerating. We don't gossip. We don't lie. We stay away from those myths and we stick to godliness. And um, by the way, with avoiding myths, we also, uh, we don't promise confidentiality about illegal activity. So we, we allow people to confess certain things and we work those things with them. But if it involves the safety of somebody else, we have to say, no, I'm going to have to report you to the police, a.k.a. the sexual abusers that people are getting, getting away with. Other thing, elders set their hope in God. This means they don't have a savior complex. They don't say, bring them to me and I got it. That's not what elders are called to do. Elders don't have a savior complex. They say, you know what, we're trusting in God and God alone. And our confidence this morning when I preached, I'm thinking, I don't, I'm so confident because God's word. Paul here Spirit-inspired, this is a good word. I'm excited to bring it. <laughs> Another thing that's a little controversial, elders command. We have that in verse 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. But it's this authority thing again that we're all afraid of. But we speak from God's authority. That's why when I preach, I want to look in God's word. And then I can say you must or must not. Because it's what God's word says, not what I think for the day. So that's really important. It's really easy for pastors to forget that truth. Another thing, elders set an example. 1 Timothy 4.12. A lot of you maybe even have that one memorized. But they're worthy of imitating. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Elders need to say, follow me as I follow Christ. This also means, I already said this earlier, but they must be available to their congregation. To be somebody worthy of following, you need to allow people to follow you. The elders never stop growing. They're always in progress. They study diligently. They're always memorizing. They're always confessing. They're always pursuing the word of God. We see that in 1 Timothy 4.15. Elders watch their life. They have boundaries in their life. They protect their thought life. They don't have yes men around them where they can just do whatever they want because no one's going to tell them otherwise. They want to watch their life. They want to make sure that they are healthy holistically with their thought, feeling, choice, body, social context, sermon plug. They enjoy rest and recreation. 
they, they don't burn themselves out. So many pastors get to the point, I'm about to preach on Sabbath, we get to the point where pastors have to take like a, a, a full summer long Sabbath, sabbatical, which I don't disagree with, but I also think, what if you Sabbath once a week? I wonder if you really needed that three month sabbatical. So many pastors, I'm included, I've fallen into this. There's no stopping. It's go, 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 study, 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 help, 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 and never rest. And so I'm trying to get better at that. I Sabbath. I can finally say that, and I can now tell you guys to do it, because this whole time I'm like, Sabbath, I've never done it, but you need to do it, okay? Um, also, elders, by the way, my grandma, she thinks it's the weirdest thing that I did Sabbath. She's just like, she's a pastor's wife, pastor's kid, pa- like everything, and she's like, you're doing Sabbath? I think that's really funny. Um, she's like, don't go all weird on me. That's what she said. <laughs> So if you're thinking that, my grandma's thinking that as well. Now, elders watch their doctrine, meaning they read old books, not just the new books. They read historical theology. They read about church history. They read about the heresies. They read their statement of faith and make sure they're continuing to align to their doctrine. It's very, very easy to fall into one or the other. We had in Ephesians 4, uh, before what we talked about this morning, it says, don't be like children who are tossed to and fro from every wind of doctrine. And that's what we as pastors, we need to recognize, I can be susceptible to heresy, so I need to make sure I'm in line with God's word and having elders and deacons around me reminding me if I'm a little bit off course. Now, this can turn into a very unhealthy culture of nitpicking things, so you have to be wise in that, but it's, you need to have that accountability and openness and making sure they're watching their doctrine. 